Welcome to the Proper Villains Podcast, where every two weeks, this mother-daughter duo brings you mysteries, thrillers, and more. Welcome back to another episode of Proper Villains. I'm Robin Englehart Bagley, and I'm very excited to have a co-host today that's also a guest host. This is the first time we've done this. Well, I'm glad that I could be uh, the first. That's always lovely. Uh, I am Scott Chipman. I am, uh, well, your normal co-host's husband. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So, yes. Yeah. Caitlin's husband is co-hosting today, which is very exciting. And this is a book that he had recommended to me. Um, I am in the process of reading it. I, I had heard of it. I've heard only ever good things. It's like, just need to read this book it keeps coming back to me over and over and over oh you yeah loaned, you loaned me your copy yeah. oh it's such a good book the book is the lies of Locke lamora and it's written by scott lynch who uh as far as i'm aware this is his first public uh, published series and so this is I, I i picked up this book on a recommendation of a youtube channel that i listened to once and on page seven, I was hooked, and I, I just couldn't put put it down. I finished it over the course of a, of a weekend, and it's not a, a tiny book, but it's also not, you know, like a thousand pages or anything, but I could not put it down. No, I actually have, I have the book right here, and it is, and it, it's a mass market paperback, so it's, it is a thick one. It is uh, like 720 pages, so not yeah. a little book, not, and it is one of seven in a series. Uh, so I'm I'm excited to read that, and I have to admit I am not done. Um, I am partway through it, so definitely no spoilers because I don't know what's going to happen. But there's a lot going on. So we are set in a fictional universe in this book, but yeah. this is a heist novel, which I love so much. Oh yeah, no, it's it's um, I actually I did look up before this recording, I, uh, Caitlin and I watched Ocean's 12 pretty recently. And I have to say, as much fun as that movie was, I didn't think it was a particularly great like heist movie in the sense of general heists, I suppose, because I didn't feel like the movie trusted you enough to know what was going on mm -hmm. until the very end when it told you all of these things that you didn't know. Getting through this book, they, Scott Lynch does not do that he does a wonderful job of giving you all the pieces of the puzzle and he trusts you to be able to put together what's going on and you either can put it together and in which case you you can totally see what's happening or you can just be along for the ride and be wonderfully surprised and uh, if you read it again you'll you'll go back and say oh well, this is obviously that this is foreshadowing for this event for that event all the pieces are there he trusts you as a as a reader to be smart enough to put it all together, and it's a wonderful heist novel. That is really exciting because at first of all, I will say Ocean's Twelve is my least favorite Ocean's. Um, yeah, <laughs> I love Eleven. I love Thirteen. Uh, Twelve is definitely. I recently rewatched it and went, "Yep, this is not my favorite." I agree, it's not a great heist novel. Yeah, they and, do a whole thing where they just tell you what really happens at the yeah, very end yeah. instead of saying anything about. You know, it, it's less clever, I think. It, yeah, you know. I, I would agree. And they they fixed that in, in 13. So, mm -hmm. so interestingly then, so this 
this is kind of it's a heist novel, but it also has the concept of fair play, which oh, yeah. <laughs> is very much a, a classic mystery. You know, you can solve it's not a thriller thing. Thrillers, you know, especially popcorn thrillers um, tend to have that twist at the end that you wouldn't have no way of knowing what was coming. And then they just sort of, oh, here, you didn't know this, but this is why this is what's happening. And that's yeah. always annoying. <laughs> But mysteries like, you know, like Agatha Christie wrote, if, you know, she threw a lot of false stuff in there too, but, you know, just a lot red of red herrings, but, but there was all, everything is there. It's like, oh man, why didn't I realize this? You could, I could have figured this out. So that concept of fair play is exciting. So now I'm really excited. I, oh, yeah. I'm <laughs> loving this book. So there's so nothing in there. That's like, that's not set up beforehand. Like there's a really fun bit at the end where when you get to it, you're going to, ah, that's fantastic. That's wonderful. <laughs> and it's something that was already explained in the book. Uh, even back as far as like page 50, you know, you, these are things that have been set up for the entire duration of the, of the book. It's wonderfully put together. Uh, I am very excited to read the second book. And, and from there, the rest of the series. Yeah, uh, me too. I just, I, yeah. Me too. Well, and I think that this is a good comp. Um, if, if people have read uh, the Six of Crows duology, if you liked Six of Crows and you think Kaz Brecker is a proper villain, then you really need to read The Lies of Locke Lamora because Locke Lamora is definitely a proper villain. Well, and not only that, but... The, the main character himself, his crew, which by the way, his crew, each individual person in this crew are, they're all just wonderful. Every character in this book is a, a full character and they're wonderful. But the actual villain, the, the antagonist of the book comes in and he's a, oh, he's, he's a big old villain. And it really, really shows just the, the depths of like anger and vengeance and uh, cunning. There's a lot of there's a lot of cunning in this book. There's a lot of very clever plans laid out and 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 very fun, interesting, intelligent decisions made to try and circumnavigate somebody else's plans. And the villain in this book, it's I I, I don't know if I'd go as far as to say like a Holmes Moriarty thing where they're both super geniuses, but they they really do play against each other in such a perfect way that it's a really good comparison to make. Interesting. Interesting. And say they're both well, like I've, the top of their fields, just playing at each other. Well, now I'm starting to wonder because there's been a few little clues dropped that I'm like, well, who is this person that's been mentioned that I haven't actually met yet? So mm -hmm. I'm, I'm curious about that. So, yeah. you know, and we are in a, so, we're, you know, they're thieves. Locke Lamora is a thief. He has a gang of thieves. So we are, you know, but we love them. So these are our villains. These are our, pro I love it when I can root for the villain. I love, oh, I love yeah. thieves. I love it when I can root for them. And we're set in a fictional, is Camorra a city? It doesn't seem like it's, a country. It seems like a it's city. It's kind of a city state. I, I, I liken it to a, a kind of Renaissance era of France, maybe. Okay. And it's, it's kind of a city state. It, it really is its own thing. Mm -hmm. uh, the thing that the book does, it doesn't really ever establish a wider world in this book anyway. I know the right. second book is in a different place since so they mm -hmm. kind of establish the geography later, but Camor is a uh, just kind of a Renaissance era of France. I, I like to imagine it with some of the descriptions of the outfits and like the culture here and there. Um, I was imagining like more like Venice. In so. Venice, yeah, something yep. like that. 
yeah. a lot of canals and things like yep. that. Yep. So yeah, that, that would be we're a better the, comparison. We're, I the think. Same, we're in the same kind of universe then. Yeah. And and something else that I don't know if, so this is a kind of a, and sometimes you've, you've discussed true crime in this podcast mm -hmm. here and there, you've discussed mm -hmm. mysteries and all sorts of things like that. Throwing a fantasy novel in here, I don't know if, uh, if that generally is your audience's, you know, preferred genre, but there's not too much fantasy to it. There's, there's like three things that, I mean, there's very, very few things that throw out a, a fantasy vibe, and it's really just to kind of set up a, a fun, larger than life, you know, interesting set piece here and there like there's no magic there's no like you're not going to have any swords and sorcery and dragons or anything like no, that and no, so if you're, no if you're if you're fantasy yeah. yeah so there's something very and that also kind of plays into the whole you know renaissance era mm -hmm. we're discovering new things we're trying to figure out you know like alchemy was a thing way back when whether right. or not it worked there's people who are trying to study it and uh yeah, that, that's something that should be mentioned is that the fantasy aspect of this is very minimal and it's uh, it might come into play a little bit more later, but not in a way that's going to take you out of the narrative. Yeah. Uh, it feels very natural to the world. I and it, it just It's in service of the story and it sets up just a wonderful, wonderful conclusion to this book. Yeah, I, I think that's a good point to make. This is not high fantasy. This is far less fantasy than Lee Bardugo, who also wrote Six of Crows, the Shadow and Bone series. Mm -hmm. um, far less, because that was a lot of world building in that trilogy. However, I'm going to say, if you're going to read Six of Crows, you do need to read Shadow and Bone, that trilogy oh, for first. Sure. <laughs> so otherwise it doesn't make any sense. But, but yeah, that was like a lot of world building this doesn't have that it's like you know here we are there's some things that are different from our world but not that much um, it's very little it, there's very little that's that's different and some of the some of the beasts that that they mention are a little bit different but really it's it seems just like very very medieval really oh, or, yeah. or like you said renaissance and you know everything that happens you know we can kind of we can understand what's going on and yeah. so Kamor, um i'm glad i don't live in Kamor. it seems to be bristling oh, no. with thieves and uh, you know i don't know who else lives there but thieves it seems like every single area of town is is pretty rough um but they <laughs> but but Locke, we meet Locke as a child of like yeah. six or seven and he's an orphan and he's raised a kind of you know kind of in an oliver twist sort of fashion a little um, bit yeah he's he's brought up into this gang of thieves where the guy kind of trains them and what it's they call him the thief maker the or something like maker. that yeah the thief yeah. maker and, and he trains all of these children who are you know tragically orphaned from you know all from the fires things. or plague or just yes. you know violence uh, violence just terrible terrible orphans things. make their way to him or he collects them and cranks out little thieves all yep. over the city and sells them <laughs> as he does lock and, he and sells, sells lock. them yeah so and he sells them to a a kind of a bigger deal um thief yeah um, father chains who's like a total con man i just which love is that wonderful <laughs> the introduction to father chains is this he's a blind priest who's locked himself into his 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 uh I, I wouldn't even call it a temple so much as a a very small 
place of worship, a shrine almost. And he makes his living off of like begging and, you know, give money to the, to the gods and you'll your sins will be forgiven. And then he is an absolute fraud and a con man, but in the best way. Yeah. He's, he really <laughs> is uh, a very likable character. <laughs> and so he takes Locke under his wing, introduces him to, he has other children and, and his gang is called the gentleman bastards. Which that right there tells you everything you need to know about yep. about all the characters in you know all, all the characters in Locke's gang. Mm -hmm. it, they are known as the gentlemen bastards. That's their moniker. And there's a fun little bit where you know they there's a, a not really a training montage of sorts, but uh, a, a chapter or two where they go and say, "Well, you're going to learn how to make wonderful." cuisine we're going to teach you how to cook and then you're going to learn different languages and like you're going to learn all the fun things that you can wear at like nobles parties and things like that and it really sets up the whole uh i suppose yeah you could draw the comparison again uh sherlock holmes and his disguises yeah you yeah. know kind of a it, it's a wonderful thing where he's not just a cut purse or you know he's not going to break into your house and rob nope. your safe or anything it's it's confidence games right it's wonderful clever planning yeah they don't like going down chimneys and things like that that is not what they do yeah. and I, th I think that's that's a really fun part is yeah you're learning about then you start seeing when they're older so you you, you meet him as a child and then you're into his present day where he's running a huge scheme i mean this is a big con it's a long con and he's playing a lot of different parts that one oh, of them yeah. I realized, I thought, oh man, he's in trouble. It's like, oh my gosh, that's him too. Yep. You know, it's, it's <laughs> like, geez, he's very clever with disguises. But then you flash back again to when he was a child and you get a little bit more information. So that's kind of how the book is written and they call the flashbacks interludes. Yeah. And you get to see his formative years as he is, as he is growing up. There's several flashbacks throughout the series, throughout the book that kind of, uh, some of them might foreshadow an event coming like in the next yeah. present day chapter. Uh, some of them are just interesting to, oh, this is more information about this other character in the Gentleman Bastards. Mm -hmm. You know, we're just going to flesh out people's characters a little bit more. And I think that my only gripe with the book would be that it's it's very uh, inconsistent with when it decides to go back and forth in time to the mm you know, childhood years to the teenage years, in some cases, to the adult year, you know, to the present day. Uh, it it kind of, it does that a lot. It goes back and forth quite a bit, yeah. but it is all in service of making sure you know who the characters are, you know, like their, their flaws, their tics, their, uh, their ideals. Uh, it is all in service of setting up the narrative and making everything a bigger payoff later. And the payoff at the end is one hell of a thing. Oh, I can't wait. To I'm get very there. excited for you to get there. <laughs> I'm, I'm really excited too. And, and I'm reading, and of course you're reading him as a child where he has, you know, like no education. I mean, mm -hmm. he is also a natural born thief. He doesn't have to be taught oh, anything, yeah. which actually gets him into trouble because <laughs> he's a bit too good at being a thief and he steals things from people he shouldn't. I think and that's what really hooked me into this book in the first place is very early on. The, the story is told about how he, uh, I suppose this is early enough where it's not a spoiler, I don't think, but he fakes a plague in order to rob a, uh, a wealthy establishment and yeah. ends up getting in way more trouble than he was 
initially anticipating. Yeah. And for like, he was like eight years old at the time. And for an eight year old to come up with this plan and execute it perfectly, and he gets away with it. He just gets it. a pretty stern talking to afterwards. Yeah. And and people are, you know, the yeah. thief maker ends up getting rid of him because he's a little bit scared of him Oh yeah. because um, he's he's just a little bit too good. Uh, but he's not he's not ruthless and he just needed to be taught, you know, like you don't go there. You don't yeah. do that. And there are certain lines that, you don't cross. There are yeah, certain consequences you that you may not have anticipated. Yeah. So he's very, you know, uneducated, except he can do sums, he can count. Mm -hmm. And then you meet him as an adult, and he is this sophisticated, multi intelligent, well read. <laughs> yeah, well read, you know, and you think, whoa, whoa, what happened here? He has mm -hmm. undergone quite an education. And he does, he gets an education through Father Chains. So, oh, yeah. I think that's still one of my favorite things is just this absolutely fraudulent priest is running possibly the best foster home in the city yeah. yep. <laughs> uh, which it's such an incongruous thing yeah uh, oh, you wouldn't think it but it, it's it's a wonderful it's a wonderful way that it's told it and is you get to learn the characters and and how they've grown up and it's uh it's definitely really, a different world but it's, it's a, wonderful... a found family it's, yeah. it's a found family situation because they really do become family and he treats them well and he feeds them well I mean, you yeah. know, that's he does care for them in a way that, you know, they he certainly you know, certainly the other, you know, people that run the other gangs don't do that. So the, the other, other gangs are all was, very much more typical. Like if you've seen the Warriors, there's yeah. literal street thugs who roam the streets and beat people up for money and rob them. And yep. you know, that's a lot of the other gangs or a lot of the other gangs will just break into your house and steal your stuff when you're gone. And uh the gentleman bastards are very unique in the way that they do things and they're they're very smart about it too because you, you think about well they're pulling these long jobs these con schemes and they're they, they supposedly have these massive payouts why aren't they getting more attention mm -hmm. and it, it's it's something that's thought of and and brought up in the book and it's yeah. it's very well thought out and done the thing I thought was was interesting, um, the 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 temple, and I'm using air quotes on a podcast, but the temple where Father Chains is, is the temple of Perilandro. And I I wondered about that because Per, P-E-R-E, Per is uh, French uh, for father. And then Landro made me wonder because Ladron is Spanish for thief. So even so, it's not quite spelled the same way. I, I looked at that. So my brain instantly went, oh, Father of Thieves. When I oh, saw yeah. Temple of Carolina, I'm like, yeah, Father of Thieves right there. It's a play on words. So no, I, I'm not multilingual and I hadn't put that connection together. Yeah. And so I, I, you know what? That's a wonderful detail that that I've learned now. <laughs> so at least I, yeah. I think that's what he was going for because it makes sense to me. So I'm just going to say, yeah, he meant to do that. So with, I mean, the, with the way the rest of the book is written and how smart and how would just intelligently it's put together i would not put it past uh mr lynch to have thought of that and made that a uh, a little nod and a wink yeah. to people who 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 got it yeah. yeah but and this is a this is obviously if there's one it's the first in a book or a series of seven it's a backlist it was looks like first published in 2006 so very easy to get your hands on it at the library or used bookstore. Obviously, it's available in paperback, uh, so not not a hard book to find. There's probably e versions of it as well. 
Um, so I love it when we can offer up something that is um, a good, solid backlist. And if you like it, there's a lot more to read. Oh, so. yeah. I, I, I thought it was just a trilogy. And I was like, really excited to get my hands on the second book in the series. And local bookstore has a third book in the series. And I thought that was it. And then you said it's seven books. And I'm just, I'm overjoyed because I can't wait to see how far this goes. <laughs> I mean, there, there is a there's a small apprehension with like increasing stakes i think when you have a series of books or, or movies or anything like that and you know the, the climax of the book one has to be this big thing it has to be the climax but then book two has to be bigger yeah. and then book three has to be bigger uh, and book one is is so like the climax of it is so spectacular i i really cannot wait to see how this continues I hope I hope the series holds up. I do. You know, sometimes they kind of fall apart after a few, but sometimes they just get stronger. So let's mm -hmm. hope for that. So and I don't think there's too much more we can say without spoiling it. And of course, there's I don't know really much more. Lot. So it's uh, the book is so like it's a puzzle piece. It's put together so well that if you you can't really see most of the picture unless you've got a lot more of the pieces. And so it, it's hard to touch on certain aspects of it without explaining the context which is spoilery and yeah. uh give it a, a give it a look give it a read yeah. if you enjoy heists if you enjoy it'll even just like renaissance era settings mm -hmm. that it's fun all by itself huh. it's it's a wonderful it's a wonderful little uh, trip into another world yes so far it, it definitely is so well scott what are you currently reading right now anything right good? now huh? uh I actually think the book is in the living room because I don't see it on my desk here, but right now I am reading Raising Steam by Terry Pratchett, who uh, Terry Pratchett uh, is, is spectacular and wonderful, and I will never have anything bad to say about him. Uh, unfortunately, he is no longer with us, but uh, he had some complications with Alzheimer's later in life, and Raising oh. Steam is the last book that he put out for his famous Discworld series. And uh, just as a quick thing, the Discworld series has been going on for like 40 years or something. It's oh my been gosh. out for a long time and there's like 40 books. I mean, he was incredibly prolific on it. I only own like six of the books and they're all really good. But uh, something to know about Terry Pratchett is that he was knighted for his contribution to literary arts and oh. he's a comedy writer. So, you know, if the Queen thought he was funny enough to receive a sir then you know that there's something to that yeah well he has uh terry pratchett he's uh, good omens is that good omens yeah. with with uh, him and neil gaiman yes yes yeah. so if, if you've read good omens you've got a taste of kind of how his his dry humor and his his knack for wordplay and funny world building and just weird sentences that seem like they shouldn't work but really really do in the context of of the book uh it's good stuff also an absolute master of satire and and over the course of you know 30 or 40 years he's touched on every single thing that you can think of uh there are books about i mean even they they even hold up to modern times there are books about trans rights there are books about species rights and things like that uh there there are you know differences between education and and uh non-educated folks i mean everything you can think of politics and religion and everything it's done and it's done well and it's done funnily. So sure. if you pick up anything, Terry Pratchett, you'll have a good time. Well, excellent. also well, in the theme of the podcast, 
villains, every single villain is a good villain. Every oh. single villain is a memorable person. And sometimes there aren't even villains. They're just people who have a different agenda, which makes them a villain, which I think makes them a really good villain because they're very relatable. Good. Yes, I like that. I yeah. like that. Well, that's a really good recommendation. So, and I'm, I just finished uh, Matrix by Lauren Goff. Oh, yeah. Which has been getting a lot of buzz. I'd had it on my stacks for a while. Uh, that one was fantastic. If you like nuns and you like medieval times, uh, then this might be a book you would want to pick up. That's definitely not a thriller. It's not a mystery, uh, but it is just literary fiction. And it is set during the times of Eleanor of Aquitaine. Uh, she's always a favorite of mine. I like reading um, things set in her world. And this is about Marie. And Marie was deemed, she had a healthy dowry, but she was deemed um, basically too ugly to marry off. Oh. Uh, she was very, part of it, she was very, very tall. They keep, they referred to her as, you know, a giantess. <laughs> um, and of course, in medieval times, people were much smaller and she was very a giantess tall. could be five, nine. <laughs> yeah, she could have been like five, nine. I, I mean, I really don't think she's out there like, you know, six, six or anything like that. But yeah, she she is decided, you know, Eleanor decides and she's sort of a uh, Marie is also an illegitimate uh, child. Uh, so she's got kicked off her mother's lands after her mother died and she goes to the court because she is a relation of Eleanor but basically eh, you know we're not gonna be able to marry you off so good news we're gonna send you to an abbey you're gonna be a nun and good Marie, news. yeah yeah Marie <laughs> is French and they send her to an abbey in England and because that is where she was at the time with Eleanor, where she was, she was in England. And so she gets stuck in this abbey in England, which she already hates. If she talks, it's muddy, it's cold, it's foggy. She does not like it there. She gets sent to an abbey. And for a while, she really resents being there. And she is all of 17, you know, and she is sent there basically like, well, this is where you're going to be the rest of your life. Yeah. And oh boy. she just decides that, well, I'm here. And she's, she's very intelligent and she's fairly charismatic and she just decides well i'm going to take this place in hand because the abbey is a wreck the nuns are actually starving and there are very few of them so over the course of the book and it's a fairly slim book it's only about 250 pages you get to see what marie transforms this abbey into and how she grows it and how she really turns it into just a dominion of women. Um, there are no men there. And that is really a refuge. And that the numbers of nuns grow and their wealth grows. And pretty soon everyone can eat. And everyone has winter clothes and shoes. And they become pretty powerful. And of course, people resent that. Uh, so mm -hmm. there is some tension, but, you know, Marie is pretty wily and it's just wonderful to see this very feminist take on running a, running an abbey. She does become the abbess eventually, and it's just her whole life. And it was an absolutely fascinating book. Um, it's certainly not going to be for everyone because some people are going to go, oh my gosh, nuns really, <laughs> but 
it was really a terrific book. I, I can't uh, recommend it highly enough. So well, I think there's something to be said about a story that follows the started from nothing. Now we've got something. Yeah, that's a very satisfying uh, plot. Yeah, yeah. And you can't really say it's not really rags to riches because, of course, she's still a nun. So she's nuns. not rich, but, yeah. but the but the abbey becomes um, wealthy enough that it can expand, you know, and it can actually do repairs and it can um, become more self-sufficient, which, you know, those were important things they needed yeah. to feed themselves. So, so yeah, not rags to riches, but rags yeah. to stable living. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, and rags to a refuge. I mean, people yeah. would then gladly send their, send daughters there because they knew they were going to be well taken care of. And she also ensured that they were, that they were educated. Uh, so because she herself was educated, even though English was certainly not her favorite thing in the world, but she could speak yeah. four languages. Um, English was just, she never, you know, she always said her English was terrible. Even, even <laughs> at the end of her life, her English was terrible, but it was a fascinating book. So that's, that's why I just finished it. So. All right. Okay. Well, uh, don't forget to rate and review us on Apple podcasts because that helps others find this show. I think now you can rate on overcast as well. And uh, please if you know someone who might enjoy, share this episode with them. Uh, you can also find us on Facebook and Instagram at Proper Villains Books. And you can send us an email at propervillainsbooks at gmail.com. So, all right. Well, thank you, Scott. Thank you for co-hosting with me today. This has been a Thanks pleasure. Thanks for having me. <laughs> fun. I'm very happy that uh, you're, you're enjoying the book. And I can't wait to hear what you think of the rest of it. And when I finish number two, I'll, I'll send it your way as well. Yes, do that. Do that. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you, everybody. And we'll see Have you next time, day. villains. <laughs>